Welcome to My Morning Cup, a podcast produced by Costa Media Advisors and brought to you by the generous support of the Tennessee Valley Authority. To learn more about TVA's impact on our community, follow TVA on Instagram at TVA and on Twitter X at TVA News. My Morning Cup, where we have interesting conversations with genuine people. I'm Mike Costa, your host. My guest this week is Eric Foster. Eric is the program director and an on-air personality at Brewer Media's radio group. In his spare time, Eric tours nationally as a stand-up comedian, and he still finds time to serve the Chattanooga community with various organizations and boards. Eric, welcome to My Morning Cup. Before I ask how stand-up comedy improves your golf game, let me ask, what's in your morning cup? Uh, This morning, uh, it's a good Colombian brew is in my morning cup. Are you caffeinated or a decaffeinated? Guy? I am definitely caffeinated. Yeah? Yeah, I, I need the buzz. It's only one cup a day, though. That's all I do. You add anything to it? Uh, depends on the holiday. <laughs> Are you a pumpkin spice guy? No, <laughs> no. Uh, regular creamer. I'll, I'll do a flavored coffee, uh, and I might add a little, uh, little spirit in there from time to time just to spice up, you know. Yeah, it just gives it a little more body. So there you speak. go. There you go. <laughs> well, again, thanks for being here. You know, I know you're a lifelong Chattanooga, and, and uh, you spend a lot of time, obviously, on the radio, and you spend a lot of time touring. But talk about growing up in Chattanooga. And I, what I want to get to is a little bit how you grew up and then how you got into radio. Okay. Uh, grew up, my mom, educator, uh, my dad, uh, Navy guy, master carpenter. I grew up with seven cousins, but we call ourselves brothers. Brothers and sisters. Yeah. yeah. So all boys. Oh, my God. You um, guys had almost had a football team. Exactly. We did. We <laughs> yeah. used to do a turkey bowl every year until we got too old. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, we would go spend the night over somebody's house. It was always, you know, the seven guys. It was all sports. It was. All the ages close together? Uh, my oldest cousin, who's like a brother is how old am I? 53. He's 63. And then I'm the youngest at 53. Oh, so 10 years spread. That's pretty good. Yeah. And then it's everybody is mixed in the, in the middle of that. Then we had some younger cousins that were like 10 years younger than I am. So they were not really a part of the original crew. Did you guys live close to each other? We did. So you ruled the neighborhood? Oh yeah. Yeah. Riding bikes to, you know, everybody's house. And it was just a, it was a good way to grow up. You know, not really strict parents. I was spoiled because I was the youngest of the seven uh-huh. and uh, played sports, went off to college, you know, graduated. So if you were the youngest, you grew up in the 80s, basically. in Chattanooga. Oh, yeah. Can you talk a little bit about what the 80s in Chattanooga were like? Because Chattanooga has been through this renaissance that really uh, started in the late 90s with the aquarium and then obviously yeah. into the 2000s. Well, early 90s. But in the 80s, the town was really... Uh, it was losing jobs. It was not a, yeah. a happy, scenic city that it is today, was it? Well, you know what, man? I was in a bubble, Yeah, really. Uh, my dad was, at the time, working at Sequoia Nuclear Plant. So he was doing good. My mom was doing good. So by all standards... Your world was good. Our world was good. Yeah. and But they would take us to different places to make sure that, you know, this is what's going on. This is This is reality. This is not reality. 
understand where you are and what's going on. Can you give a little example of something like they would expose you to just to keep you grounded? Um, my dad is a Georgia boy and he was about scrap yards and uh, going to the landfill yeah. and he was that guy. So a lot of times he would make us do things that, you know, it's like, oh God, do we have to, you know, when, when I leave this house, the wood better be chopped. <laughs> this better be that. And your mother shouldn't have to pick up her finger to do anything. He was that yeah, guy. Yeah. So we knew about chopping wood. And, He's old school. Oh, my God, dude. He was, I mean, he was that guy. Yeah. Um, affection? No. He had a different way to show affection. I didn't learn later on in life that he was affectionate after my mother said, I was like, well, you know, Dad, we never, it wasn't like a hugger. Uh, but he was. But he wanted us to be, come on, guys. You yeah, gotta, you got to be gotta strong. You got to be a man. But then after I got older and then I had my, my son, oh, my God, a thousand hugs a day. Yeah. It's like, who is this guy? <laughs> but she she said uh, his thing was to sit in the living room reading a newspaper and we're in the den and we're laughing and joking. And, and she says he was actually in there listening to us and falling out laughing. But we never saw that. Yeah, you know, something about that generation that wanted to be that stoic male and yeah. couldn't express a lot of things to uh, their kids. It's similar with my dad. You know, it's dad would come home from work and my mother would say, don't disturb your father until he's had a drink. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, that that was and, and he was he, he wanted to do the right thing. Uh, he hated people that took advantage of other people. Yeah. He was that he was an honest worker. I've seen the violent side of him that really that's when the respect really came like, oh, my God, this dude could break my back if he, you know, this is a construction worker. This is a you know what I mean? He was all of the earth guy. He was that guy. Exactly. I, I never forget one time we um, he came to pick me up from basketball practice, which he seldom did. He said, hey, I've got to make a, I've got to make a stop. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so at the job site, he collected, you know, copper wiring, tent, resell it, that mm -hmm. type of stuff. He was that guy. Somebody had stole some stuff off of his truck. And he went over to the guy's house and he said, hey, man, I know you got it. Just give me my stuff back. And the guy just starts becoming belligerent and showing out for the guys in front of him. And... uh my dad turns around and looks at me. He says, uh, lock the door. <laughs> I'm like, dude, what are you about to do? So the guy attacks my father. Oh, my goodness. With a baseball bat. Wow. And my dad. And how old are you? Uh, 15, 16, something like that. And he swings, hits my dad's arm. My dad blocks the, the bat, grabs this guy by the collar. Now, let me tell you about my dad's hands. <laughs> He had to put his wedding ring on his pinky because his hands were so big. Yeah. So you can always size up a guy looking at his wrist and he's like, okay, this guy can throw a punch. Grabs this guy and he starts slamming this guy's face into the passenger door. And I'm just I'm looking down at him like, oh, this is this is what we're doing today. <laughs> and the guy just crumples down and the dad goes into the back, gets his stuff, puts it back on the truck. He gets in the car. And he says, son, I'm sorry that you had to see that. So then we get home and then my mother's just like going crazy. I can't believe you took my thought and blah, 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 blah. Later on, my dad's arm is swelling up. My mom takes him to the hospital 
comes back. He has a full cast on. The guy breaks his arm. Wow. My dad gets up at four o'clock in the morning, goes to work. <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah. So the next yeah. time I thought about mouthing out, yeah. which sometimes I did, I was like, yeah, I'm just going to keep my mouth closed. You got any siblings? One brother. Okay. Uh, older brother, five years older. And then the rest of my cousins that we all I got with so ruled the neighborhood. I love that. I it's, yeah. yeah, just a group of kids running around having fun outside all day. I would imagine. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Football, basketball, baseball, you name it. We we played it. Yeah. Skateboards, bikes, everything. So you went to Brainerd, and then mm-hmm. uh, you went off to school at MTSU. Mm-hmm. What was it as you were growing up that you wanted to be? Did you dream of being on the radio, or were your dreams elsewhere? I dreamed of being a touring musician. I wanted to be on the road. I wanted the, the backstage. I wanted the rocking out the whole yeah. nine. I started playing instruments like in the third grade. And what do you play? Keys, bass, primarily bass right now because mm-hmm. I played at a church and I played with one Christian artist. We toured a little bit. So that's what I really wanted to do. And I uh, went off to MTSU, majored in um, recording engineering. And then I, that was the second time that I went back. First time, I graduated with a degree in exercise physiology, minored in health. I started working at the health department. And I was in AIDS outreach. And we did all of this and did phlebotomy. And a friend of mine, Jasmine, who now, uh, she's on the show with uh, D.L. Hughley. She said, hey, we've got this contest. We want you to enter on the radio. I called in and I won. And it was a, a taping to go see uh, Living Color with Queen Latifah. Oh, yeah. And I won. But I would call in with different voices. And then uh, once I, I got down there, the program director, Keith, was like, so is this the guy that you guys are talking about? <laughs> and she was like, yeah, this is him. She said, hey, why don't you just call in and do your, your voices? I used to do this old man voice. I would call in. And say, Good morning. My, my grandson loves this station. And I would want to hear uh, if you might, LL Cool J, whatever <laughs> artist it was. So then I would call in and do that character. Then after a while, he says, hey, why don't you just, I think we want to hire you and put you on the morning show. I knew nothing about radio. You know, it's interesting you bring that up because there's a lot of folks who got their start in radio by being the person that called in with great content. Right. Right. So were you like at home thinking about things that you could call in on or just reacting spontaneously to something you heard and said, I'm going to call in and I'm going to. You know what? People say, man, that was cool that you got on radio, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no, not really, because all of my friends, we all did the, the same thing. We would tease each other or talk like the old guy at the church or talk like the old lady at the, you uh-huh. know, at the supermarket or whatever. We all did that. I just happened to just. You elevated it, though, but you took the chance, called in, and, and got a little attention out of yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. How many characters do you do, or, or did you do? Uh, I didn't, like, write a list. I would yeah. just hear people and then just, you know, try to talk like them. And they tried to develop characters later on. I did a uh, hood guy named Tay-Tay who was, you know, you go to places and you see the guy that's always trying to sell stuff. He was that guy. Hey, man, check this out. I got these sunglasses, man. I got these glasses, man. You need to check them out. You can see it to the future. I promise. <laughs> that that type of stuff. Yeah. Nothing serious, but it was just being silly. So they hired you in what year is this? 95, 96, something like that. And this is Brewer Media. Mm-hmm. And you've been there ever since. Yep. 
And, you know, once you get in, because really, I was like, I'm going to take the radio job because it's going to help me with my music career. We had all the record reps coming in. and Well, that makes sense. Yeah. And back to your music career, were you looking to go out as a solo or are you looking to be part of a band or did it matter? It didn't matter. But at the time, you had Joe to see, you had Boys to Men, you had all of these singing groups. So it started out as a singing group. And mm-hmm. uh, when I was at MTSU, we were in a group called 4AM. And we went out, we, this is the time when MC, man, I'm, I'm dated. <laughs> <laughs> this is the time when MC Hammer was huge. Yeah. And did you have parachute pants? Yes, we did. <laughs> and they were polka dot. <laughs> and uh, we went to audition with him. One of MC Hammer's dancers, his cousin, we went to school with at MTSU. And he says, man, I can get you guys in. We're like, cool. So I never forget we went to Memphis and it was MC Hammer, Joe to see, and somebody else was on the show and we were actually hanging out backstage and the guy's name was a federal and we submitted paperwork to him and he had a a company with a guy in Nashville. We go to Nashville to try to get this developmental deal. And the guy says, uh, he had like a whole bunch of, I'm again, I'm dating myself, a whole bunch of dat tapes on his desk. Mm-hmm. And one of ours was there and he says, I've got one slot. So pointed to my friend CC. He says, Hey, pick a dat tape on the on the tape. Give it to him. Puts it over to the side. He takes the rest of them. He shoves them in his desk. He said, You just pick my next group, which was not us. Oh. Uh, he oh. says that's how the business is. And then after that it just kinda Oh, that had to be discouraged. Went to, I, but that's just the just the way the business is. And and you know, related to that, we talk to a lot of people about their careers and the things that they the ups and the downs that they experience. So you, you experience something like that. Oh, yeah. And it's got to devastate you. So how do you rebound from that? Um, you, you stay down for a little while, and then you, you go to the next, what they call thick skin. Yeah. You know, you, I mean, just like think about sales. Yeah. I try my hand at sales at, at radio, and you get told no a thousand times, and then eventually a, a yes will pop up. So yeah. you just keep it moving, and then you look back, okay, what did I do wrong? Uh, was the songs not good enough? Was the song structure not good enough? Did we sound good enough? You know, yeah, we did. It just just didn't happen. So yeah, that's a good refreshing attitude, and I think it's a good example for uh, we have a particularly younger audience that listens. That you know, you get knocked down, you got to get back up. Oh yeah, it's gonna happen because a career is a long journey. Right, it's a lot to learn too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So. That happens. Did you focus more on radio after that? or The funny part is, is the radio and the, the comedy career started at the same time. And Mike Alfano, he says, hey, man, you're funny enough to really go out on the road, but you got to understand it's going to take a while for you to get your chops. It's like, all right, cool. So I did it for a little while. And then he says, hey, well, why don't you do this? Why don't you just do the radio since the radio thing is new? So now you're going to have steady income. You're going to have insurance. Yeah. You have a platform. And then on the side, if you want to do hosting stuff, he says, you know, you're always welcome to come here and work out on material. And then you can just go and do different stuff. And that's what I did. Because on the radio, you're building the Eric Foster brand. People are getting to know who right, you are. Right. So then uh, comedy shows would come in and then they say, hey, we need a local comedian. And everybody's, oh, I know a guy. Yeah. So I've opened up for a number, Steve Harvey, mm-hmm. Dia, you name them. If they've been through Chattanooga nine times out of 10, I've done something with them. What's your process for writing your routine? And I'm asking this because I listen to a lot of uh, different 
comedians and Jerry Seinfeld one talking about how he writes down and wordsmiths every joke. Does it come to you more naturally? Are you writing stuff down all day? Do you, how do you work all that out to get the routine the way you want it? Grab my voice uh, recorder and I'll come up with a, sometimes I'll come up with the punchline and then I'll build a joke after that. Mm-hmm. Or sometimes I'll create the story and I'll take other jokes and piece them together and then try to make it. Sometimes I do a graph. I met one guy's name, Drew Thomas. Drew has like, sometimes he'll do like a chart and he said, hey man, sometimes you just gotta find things and connect the dots. Yeah. And then you'll find the joke. He said, sometimes you might not see the joke when you're trying to write it. Put it down and then you come back and you're like, ah, that's what I was looking for. Or if you're on the road, we were in Houston and I did a bit and it went good. But then afterwards, the guy comes backstage and he says, hey, that joke when you said so-and-so and so-and-so and so, go from here, do this, put this tag on it, and then it's going to refer back to the previous joke and then people are going to put it together. So then the next, the very next show, that was like 8 o'clock show, so the 10 o'clock show, I tried it and I was like, oh. Oh, I see. It works. <laughs> oh, this is how we do this. So, yeah. I think that's probably the biggest misconception about that guy sitting in the audience who all his friends think is funny. And, you know, you can get up there and do that. That's a hell of a lot of work. It's a hell of a lot of organization and a lot of analytical type thinking that goes into being funny. Yeah. I mean, but with anything, though, we had a guest on the radio show one time and they were sitting in and I said, hey, we got five minutes. Hang out. So he's sitting there watching. So. I had to record the weather. I had to edit the weather. Then I had to put that up. Then I had my sounders that I was getting ready to hit. Then a caller called in and I had to, and I recorded the caller. And then I went in and I edited the caller. And then I had to do this and blah, 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 blah. And then somebody came in, hey, man, can you read this line? Bop, 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 bop. And I'm doing, and you know how it is when you're producing, yeah. you're just, you're in your zone, you're doing your thing, and you're not even thinking about it. Then light pops up, you know, Power 94 to be JTT, what's happening? Coming up, we got these tickets, we got up, 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 up. Then I got this guest that's going to be coming up, 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 up. Hey, let's go check in with weather. Boom, hits the weather button. Weather guy does his thing coming out. Hey, don't forget, get that umbrella. It's going to be raining today. Da, 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 da. Bup, 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 Power 94, boom. And then you look over there and they're like, <laughs> I didn't know you guys did all of that. I was like, yeah, you just thought we were in here just talking yeah. on the mic. No, it's a lot of stuff that you're doing. Well, and related to that is how much broadcasting in general and radio in particular has changed in the last 20 years, where maybe 20 years ago in the studio, you had a producer on the other side of the class, you had someone else, and now pretty much you're doing it all yourself, aren't you? We're old school. So I got in at that last old school part. I want to control everything. I don't want a producer. I don't want anybody because you don't know if I want to think of something on the fly, if a funny bit hits, hey, pull up such and so-and-so song, go to a uh, minute and 57 seconds because that's when the, the chorus drops in and that's going to tie into the joke that I'm about to do. And I can do that on the fly instead of just saying, hey, producer, hey, I need bop, bop, bop. What, what is it? What, what's, nah, I got it. Just move out of the way. Yeah. How much do you have to prepare each day for your, your daily show? The cool thing about show prep is it happens all the time. So I'll see a picture or a story, I'll snapshot it, I'll save it, I'll go in, pull up some audio, or just like how you do with social media, how they say, hey, if you want to consistently put out content, you just stockpile it. And then, of course, you have things that happen during the day, so-and-so died today, or yeah. whatever, you can do that. Related to how radio's changed, and, and I'm coming from a broadcast perspective because television's changed too, 
But the competition now is not just other radio stations. You got satellite radio, you got social media and everything else. What kind of effect is satellite radio had on broadcast radio? A lot of people thought that it was going to be this huge impact and terrestrial radio just continues to do what it does. I don't know if it's comforting to people. You get in your car and you want to hear the latest local because that's what we were, you know, local. You really push local. Local, local, local. The superstars are going to take care of all of the big stuff. That's always going to be there. But sometimes I want to know when are they going to finish this construction on here? Uh, What about traffic? What's going on with this? How can I get to work? You know what I mean? Yeah. So local, local is still king. And related to that, it's the familiar voice. Yeah. I would imagine you have people who come up and talk to you and think they know you because yeah. They ride with you every day. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's cool. Yeah. I um, want to talk a little bit about one of the things I, I learned about you is you donated a kidney to your brother. I did. When was that? That was in 2005. He had a previous uh, donor, which was my dad. And they did this thing called the antigen match, you know, where you can see how compatible you are. And uh, I had said that I wanted to do it off the top. And he says, nope, you just got married. You just got the baby. Dad's going to do it. We're all good. He had that for like maybe two years. It rejected, Mm -hmm. got infected. So he had to take that out, went back on dialysis. So he's on dialysis for like 10 years, which is horrible for the body. And I says, dude, put me in the game. What are you, what are you doing? Oh man, I I got this. And you could just tell he was tired. And uh, I says, no, let's just go ahead and do it. Got tested. It was an ordeal because they are very, very, very strict on who can donate. And I have a uh, what they call white coat syndrome when it comes to blood pressure. Your blood pressure spikes? Oh, my God. Yeah. So it's like, no, this guy has high blood pressure. So my brother's physician, Dr. Johnson, says, let's do a 24-hour blood pressure just to see what's going on. I get home. I have to wear this thing all day, and it just goes off whenever. Perfect. Blood pressure is perfect. Go to the doctor's office, <laughs> boom, straight through the roof. So eventually he says, I think you're good. So we got at Baptist Hospital in Nashville. Two days before the surgery, they called and says, nah, we're not going to do it. There's one surgeon that doesn't want to do it. He doesn't feel like that you're a good candidate. And my brother's doctor was upset. He says, I've got one more guy that I think that, that will do it. So we go to Jacksonville, Florida. And uh, Dr. Peters, Thomas Peters, and he says, I think that you're that you're good. So he says, I'm checking off. That's Family great. Packs up, go down to Jacksonville. Uh, one of the coolest things, may he rest in peace, uh, Jim Brewer II. I go with my paperwork. I says, hey, you got to fill all this paperwork out. I don't know how long I'm going to be down so I can you know, get some assistance. And he's, he looks at it. He says, you know what? How, how about I do this? How about you take these papers back? I pay you what I pay you. You go take care of your brother, and we'll see you when you get back. That sounds like Jim Brewer. That's Jim Brewer. Yeah. Oh, my God. He was that guy. I enjoyed Jim's company, and he was very pro-Chattanooga. Oh, oh yeah. I do want to go back and ask uh, about the uh, the transplant and the kidney donation. Your dad was the original donor. Your dad, who doesn't hug and is tough, but he was going to do what was right for his son. Didn't think twice. Yeah, didn't think twice. No, didn't think. And, and the other thing related to that, when people hear dialysis, at least my perception is they think you just go in, you do the thing for a couple hours and you're fine. It really knocks you on your ass for a while. Yeah. 
it's very, very tough on the body. It's not natural. Right. So uh, because of that, my brother, um, it does things to your bones and your skin and the whole nine. He had to have open heart surgery because of the calcium buildup. Wow. So he had to go through that. I mean, this guy is a warrior. Yeah. And he was always my hero. He was the high school, all state football. He was that guy. So he's like, it's like me helping out my superhero. Yeah. So now he's doing great. Good. He's a athletic trainer, physical therapist at Vanderbilt. And so it's, it was a battle, but because of that, uh, Dr. Peter says, Hey, there's this new advisory board that I think that you will be good to get on. And it's called Neil Dat, and it's, uh, the national living donor assistance center. It's in, um, right outside of DC. And what they do is help people financially if they would like to donate. Because when, once we got to Jacksonville, we didn't know what we were going to do. Are we going to get a hotel? Mm-hmm. And my mom was like, I don't care what we have to do. We're going to make it work. Yeah. So Dr. Peter says, hey, we just moved the hospital. We have a brand new building, but the old hospital is still up. There's nothing in it. It's not as clean or whatever. It's just empty. But you guys can stay there if you'd like. Wow. So we went over and it was just the old empty yeah. hospital. And we went in, we went to the Walmart, we got cleaning stuff. They gave us bed sheets and pillows and we stayed in an empty hospital for almost four weeks. That's incredible. Just to get it done. So because of that, that's when they created Neil Deck and they say, hey, what about if it's some, some people that want to donate, but they can't do it financially. So if you meet all the criteria, you get a American Express card. It will cover hotel. It will cover rental car. It will cover food. And I was on that as the living donor. And they would ask me, I would have to go and speak to nephrologists. And what about minority donorship? Why don't we have African-Americans donating more? And blah, 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 blah. And I had the little speaking circuit for a minute and talking with people. It was a really, really cool experience. And not all donors are family members, right? No. Someone can be a donor and not related at all. They just meet the antigen test. Is that correct? What is it called? Uh, Altruistic giving. I met one person that it was a lady that donated to this other lady. She says, I never knew her, never met her. I just heard her story and I wanted to help. And I was like, oh, God. Superheroes. Yeah. They're superheroes. Absolutely. How long did it take you to recover from giving your brother a kidney? Dude, he was up walking before I got <laughs> I'm sitting there. I'm because, mind you, I'd never been in a hospital for anything. The worst I'd ever had was a sprained ankle from basketball. So I'm laid up in there, just all of this pain. Oh my God, what is happening? And then he comes in, hey man, what are you doing? And he looked great. Because, you know, with dialysis, it just drains you. And he looked amazing. I'm like, who is this dude? He said, man, you got to get out of bed, dude. I was like, you know what? I'm going to throw a middle finger as soon as as mom leaves the room. But it was that. And then once, you know, everything, they got everything out. You guys got to get up walking. And we did everything together. So we've got pictures and videos of us walking through the hospital and just trying to make it happen. But it was really cool. Well, kudos to you. And I'm glad your brother's doing well. And and that's a a great message to get out there. Absolutely. Yeah, because um, so much can be done with organ donation. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I want to talk about a couple other things before we run out of time. Growing up in Chattanooga, you've seen a lot of change. Can you talk about from when you were growing up to today, 
about some of the really important changes you've seen and then also some of the things we still need to get better at? Um, from the education standpoint, I can just remember my mom, she retired in, may she rest in peace, uh, 98, 99. This is when the city school system and the county school system was going to merge. And she was always pro-teacher. Give us the tools. We will find out. She would sit in there. She said, if I have 25 kids in my class and I have to learn 25 ways to teach this material, that's what I'm going to do so that they can get the material because everybody learns differently. Mm-hmm. She says, and I want to figure out how their mind works and how their mind ticks. And she was just that person. I never forget going to the store honey buns and cinnamon rolls. And I'm like, oh my God, we are going to have a feast. This is not for you. What do you mean it's not for me? She says, a lot of my kids don't have anything to eat. I can't teach an empty stomach. So Such a great point. So once the school systems merge, she says, yeah, this is not going to be good. I say, what do you mean? She says, they're going to tell me how I'm going to teach. And I don't want to do that. I didn't get all of these degrees for nothing. Mm -hmm. And you can see that. I, I'll never forget my son. He went off to school. He changed. He was at CSLA, which was a great school, which still is a great school. But at the time, it was just really small. I think the teacher-student ratio was maybe 1 to 10 or something like that. So there's always something going on. And uh, he gets over. He leaves. So he's from CSLA from kindergarten until eighth grade. Then he says, you know what? I've been with these people for ever I want to go to a regular high school so he ends up going to East Hampton nothing against Hampton County Schools I'm just saying this yeah. is our experience so he gets there and I'll never forget a teacher came and she says excuse me are you are you Aaron's dad I was like yeah what school did he go to he went to CSLA okay that explains it and I'm like whoa what's, <laughs> what does that mean what is <laughs> what does that mean oh he was the only one that did all of his summer reading and his projects and turned everything in when it was supposed to be turned in she said, that explains it. So to that point, it's just been a shift in what we call teaching to the test. Yeah. And there are so many ways people learn and to try to just pigeonhole everybody into the same. It's not not good. Back in the day, we had Kirkman High School. You could learn how to be an electrician. You could learn how to be a plumber. You could learn how to, all of these things. Then all of these schools get closed down mm-hmm. and then everybody's you know you're trying to figure out what's going on even just with with chattanooga with with the founders you had wheeling foundry you had all of these founders this is where a guy could graduate high school go to the factory make 60 70 thousand dollars now he's it's back breaking work but he can go straight to the middle class give back pay his taxes and then now all of that's gone you know, what's going to happen with those guys? Well, it was a great sustaining cycle. You constantly right. had people coming into the middle class paying their taxes. Right. You know, and we, we kind of screwed that up. Yeah. What do you think we need to work on? Oh, that's a loaded question. I, there, Mike. <laughs> um, I think individually, you just need to start working on yourself because it's, it's so many so many systems to relying on another set of systems. And I, I just think if we can start young, getting these kids to be able to read, getting these kids to be able to start thinking critically and move forward from there. Um, I like the fact that the city is, is starting to grow. I just hope that they can start including people 
and helping them grow as a family unit. And then that family unit turns into the neighborhood and then everything else starts to go from there. Cause it's going to take some time. No matter how much we talk about all the good things that have happened, not everyone shared in it equally. Right. But I do like your answer of focus on yourself individually yeah. and how to improve yourself. It's got to be some accountability though. Yeah. Well, uh, before I get to the last question, Eric, I do want to remind our listeners uh, who makes all this possible. It's the Tennessee Valley Authority for sponsoring My Morning Cup. Follow TVA on social media to learn more about its multifaceted mission of service and visit tva.com forward slash do good here to explore exciting TVA career opportunities. So I do want to ask you my boilerplate last question. Go back to your 25-year-old self. What would you tell that young man is important for a very happy life? Saving your money. Investing your money. Read more. Travel more. Um, forgive yourself. Elaborate on that a little bit. Overthink a lot. Make some mistakes. Sometimes those mistakes are made because you didn't do your due diligence on reading, finding out what's going on. Uh, you think you have time and you don't. That's one of the things. My son's 23. Yeah. Son, you think you have time, but you don't have a lot of time. It goes fast, doesn't it? Get these lessons now. I promise you, if you get these lessons now, by the time you get my age, you're going to be okay. Yeah. And I'm blessed to have a son that actually listens and he's starting to see he's the old man in his, in his group. Now he still does all of the young stuff and dresses young, and all, but he's the old guy. Is he here in Chattanooga? He is okay. for right now. Well, but enjoy it while you got him here. Absolutely. Yeah. Eric, I've really enjoyed this. Thank you so Getting much, Getting to know man. you better. I, we've known each other professionally over the last few years, but uh, now I'm a more personal Tremendous respect for you, man. Tremendous respect. Well, thank, thank you so I have much. tremendous respect for you, too. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to My Morning Cup, a podcast by Costa Media Advisors. If you liked this episode, please share it with a friend. I release a new episode each week, so be sure to subscribe on Spotify, Apple, Google, or wherever you listen to podcasts.